Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We are live in the Morton studio talking today about soil organic matter. It's incredibly important if you want good soil health, you want to reduce compaction, you want more nutrient holding capacity, more water holding capacity. Managing your soil organic matter is important, but I will say this, a lot of people think, well, I can't even change it. It takes forever. No, it really doesn't. Within a 10-year period, I can promise you, if you really were devoted to it, you could increase or decrease your soil's organic matter by a couple of points, and that is enormous. We'll talk about that throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We've been getting a lot of questions in already here over the last couple of days. And so I think we're going to go right now to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, uh, start with a fun one here. This one comes from GS who said, if you spent half the money the hefty boys want you to spend per acre, you'd be broke. And, you know, this is one of the things that we talk about a lot, Brian, is that that sometimes people think you got to do everything all at once. (laughs) Now, I get it. If you had a soil that had one part per million of phosphorus and uh, 20 or 30 parts per million of K, and you said, oh, my goodness, I got to get that all up all in one year, yeah, you're right. That's a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. You got to use your head when you're trying to do some things. But by the same token, you probably bought that ground at a discount. I had a little bit of ground like that that I bought back seven or eight years ago. Bought it significantly less than what the market price was, but it was really run down. And yeah, it did take a little bit of work. It took a little bit of time and it's been a profitable piece of ground. Okay. So when we talk on TV and radio, then We've got to we got to be more generalized, I would just say, and rather than talking about specifics. So we, for Darren and me, we consult with hundreds of farmers. We train hundreds of agronomists. So they reach out to tens of thousands of farmers, and it's based on information that we have. And what it's all about is always three things: it's getting more yield, it's doing the right thing for the land and the environment, and it's making more money. So one, one very important thing that our dad always told us was he, he just said, look, it doesn't matter what you spend. It's what you make at the end. And sure, you can try to save your way to prosperity. But when you look and truly analyze the people that are making more money in farming, they're typically the ones that are getting more yield. So we got to try to figure out how are we going to do that and yet do it profitably. So yeah, when you talk about all the money we want you to spend, we we talk just about every day about, hey, do this in this case, do this in this case. Here's a cheaper option. Here's a better way to go. Here's a situation where you don't want to do anything. Well, even like this soil organic matter discussion we're going to have today, did you know that for every 1% of soil organic matter, your soil can hold roughly 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for each 1% of organic matter? And it releases that every year. So where I'm going with this is it can actually, in truth, hold a ridiculous amount of nitrogen. And it's releasing just 1% or just a little bit each year. But if you take 1%, 20 to 30 pounds, let's just say 20 pounds, let's say a 5% organic matter, that's 100 pounds of free nitrogen that you get every year. Okay, Ask any other fertilizer dealer if they're talking about that. Of course they're not. 
They're not. And in some cases, it's just because they want to sell you more fertilizer. So, I, I mean, that's why we're here is to hopefully help you do things better economically in addition to gaining more yield. But yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I kind of take offense to that because we talk more about economics than anybody that there is in terms of the agronomy side. And we want you, our goal is for you to make more money all the time. So anyway, we're always open to very specific questions and then we can get right into the dollars and cents, but otherwise we're talking general terms. All right, got a question here from Joe, and he, he said, here's a soil test uh, in regards to the Neil Kinsey seminar coming up. Here's a, here's the test I'd like some guidance on. I read Neil's book, and I understand using products like gypsum for pulling magnesium out of soil, but I'm wondering what to do. My calcium base saturation is already about 70. My magnesium base saturation is at 21, and I've got 9% base saturation K, so i got tons of P and K in the ground. Should I be worried about that magnesium at 21? Is that limiting my potential? And if so, what should I do to adjust that or what should I focus on? Okay. Well, first of all, I don't think your base saturation is quite right. And here's why I say that. Because when you look at, um, well, wait, I'll take that pH back. is 6.8. Yeah. The pH being 6.8, that means you should have just a little bit of hydrogen. I mean, granted, it's probably 0.2 or maybe 0.3 at most, but there should be a little bit of hydrogen there. Well, when you have that little bit, that's going to kick the other things down. This is probably relatively close, though. Yeah, so, yeah I think it, it looks relatively it, good overall. It right. looks like we're short in sulfur. It looks like we're short in manganese. There's a few other things you could focus on now that P and K are taken care of. Right. So so, so what, what, what was his big worry there, Darren? He was wondering if that... If he should be worried about that magnesium being at 21% no. in a 16 CEC soil and no. and what he should focus on. No, it's focus on all the other stuff to make high yield. Just don't do anything that's going to increase that pH anymore. And the other thing is if you want to maybe lower the pH just a hair, hopefully drive a little of the magnesium out, just make sure you're getting plenty of sulfur out there and that will make a difference for you over the long term. All right. Thanks for the question, Joe, and look forward to, to seeing you or, or chatting with you over the Kinsey workshop coming up later this month. Got another Kinsey question. This one's from Robert. He said, I see your upcoming Neo Kinsey seminar. Why don't you make it available online? It would make a great online course specifically during these pandemic times. Well, guess what, Robert? It is. You can get it online. You can watch it virtually. So check out agphd.com. Click on the events tab. You can sign up for it there and you can watch from your own home. So yeah, we are excited about that. We're really glad Neil's doing that. If you haven't caught Neil Kinsey before, this is to anybody listening. It's fantastic. It, yep, it's it's three days. It's a lot of information, but it is well worth your time. If you want to return on investment, like Brian was saying, this would be a great return on your investment of time. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're going to be right back talking about soil organic matter. Stay tuned. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today i don't know about where you're at but it is cold here where we're farming and what a what a great day to be inside and talking about farming now one of the things that we're thinking about today is soil organic matter obviously it's important for a lot of things in the soil but we want to get into some details on that too we've got scott inman with us right now with valent and mycorrhizal applications scott thank you for joining us thanks for having me today all right, so we know cold out here. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we we think about cold soil and and all the changes that go on through the year, and obviously it impacts soil health and the soil life. How about organic matter? How specifically does that impact uh, the microbial life in the soil? Well, it's a key. They're interrelated. Um, fungi is a big part of that. Uh, being able to maintain that organic matter. You put all that together, just as you mentioned, the soil structure is very uh, important. But overall, the microbial biomass is very key to the also maintaining the organic matter is also building it. Now, we were talking about the cold soils. Just curious, is it a lot different? So for, for me in South Dakota, where we know our soil is going to freeze, certainly down at least a foot in the ground and sometimes several feet down in the ground. Does that negatively impact our, our soil microbial life or are the microbes that are growing naturally in our soils here pretty resilient to that? There's a, they're pretty resilient. I mean, otherwise they'd be gone. And, uh, you know, I mean, just until recently, we've really started to rebuild and rethink about that. So they've been there. You will see there's other factors that actually influence that, like tillage, uh, you know, uh, uh, fallow ground those have actually more impact to that long-term microbial population so they're they do adapt and those populations go up and down naturally so they're they're pretty adaptive as long as we treat them good 
Well, we haven't been treating them very good here the last few years. We had two years with flooding and excess moisture, and now this last six months or so, we've had record drought. How do those kind of conditions change things, and, and what should we be doing if, if we're farming in an area that's had flooding or had drought? Yeah, probably the, the flooding probably has the most impact because you're going from aerobic to anaerobic, so that does clean out or does decrease the functionality. The drought is a little bit, uh, you know, the organisms can survive in that drought, um, especially mycorrhizae. They're kind of set up to do that. They keep seeking out moisture. They can pull moisture where the plant can't, So uh, and they can also pull from the plant, so they can actually keep developing. Um, so... I'd say the flooding is the most uh, detrimental, and uh, you just got to keep replenishing the soil under those conditions to get that population. And it's not just the organisms, but it's also your cropping system, cover crops, and uh, to keep that soil healthy. Now, you mentioned mycorrhizae bacteria and, and these drier conditions. It was interesting to see last year, there was some fantastic yield data going west. And I always kind of thought, well, this is one that's going to, this is a bug that's probably more important for the guys going east. But it seemed like even in the western corn belt that that was kind of a big deal for growers unlocking some of those nutrients in the soil. What did you see last year in, in the data? Did you see some big differences out there? It was pretty all over, I mean, the environmental conditions, but yeah, we did see some good responses, and you know, it's kind of interesting how, you know, specific to mycorrhizae, the kind of see those bigger responses and more stressful conditions. The, the better the conditions, you just don't see the benefit because you have all the uh, big contributors to yield, but the more stress, uh, I mean, you got to have certain amount of nutrients, certain amount of moisture there to produce that crop to get those yields, So, but it just pulls that out. And really what it does is it just allows the plant not to expend the same amount of energy to accumulate that uh, development and yield. Um, the mycorrhizae is doing the work for it. So it's a great balance. You were mentioning earlier that, that the fungi is just so important with organic matter. It's interrelated. It seems to be the tougher thing to rebuild. It seems like bacteria much more uh, hardy out in the soil. Is that correct that you'd say the fungi is something you got to pay a lot more attention to? Yeah, I mean, it's just very slow. I mean, we have a natural population and, you know, a natural healthy soil should be about a 50% biomass of, uh, you know, what's out there, the fungi, and that's including uh, mycorrhizae as well as other fungi. And most soils are running around that 20% and the bacteria have made up that gap. So it's just a very slow process, even when you inoculate depending on the cropping system, how it repopulates, you go in until you you go, you know, you knock off some of what you just developed. So it is a very slow process, but it is very important. Well, we certainly have a lot more to focus on as we head towards planting season. We'll have to talk with you again, Scott. We're talking with Scott Inman with Valent here. Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. You bet. You as well. You know, when we're talking about soil organic, I guess there's a lot of different things that you bring into the to the equation here. We've got Dave with us now, farms over in Minnesota. Uh, Dave, when you look at soil organic matter levels, what's your strategy on your farm? Are you trying to build things? Are you just trying to maintain? Where, where are you at in, in your part of Minnesota? Well, we're working to build uh, organic matter, and we are strictly strip tillers and no tillers. Uh, one of the blessings that we enjoy being here in Northfield is the um, 
St. Olaf and Carleton College, uh, biology, biology and uh, environmental studies students who have some really sophisticated ways of helping me get a grip on what's happening with the organic matter. Yeah, it is pretty cool. It is neat when you're tying in others onto the farm. And this is something we talk about a lot, that uh, we aren't uh, the end-all, be-all of knowledge here. There's a lot more out there and a lot of different ways to look at things. So you mentioned strip-till and no-till. And I know you've talked with us before about about some of the strip-till work that you've done. And we get a lot of questions about that in terms of organic matter. And I know a lot of guys that have got no-till and they're, they're trying to do some different things, interested in potentially going to strip till they're nervous about that they're nervous about losing organic matter what's been your experience with strip till well i um <clears throat> uh did a project with saint olaf where we planted corn six years in a row corn on corn on corn on corn using strip till and the students were out there uh taking soil samples to try to get um uh, a grip on what was happening with the organic matter with that much biomass being on the top of the soil. So about year number five, I was walking down the rows of the cornfield with an agronomist, and I said, uh, Mike, do I have a residue buildup problem? And he looked down the row and he said, uh, well, what residue? And as it turns out, with the uh, critters and uh, microflora, working hard to break down that stuff and take it down into the soil. Um, we didn't have residue problem, but we did have significant increases in organic matter in in the, the topsoil. And I don't know what was going on in the subsoil. I suppose that was positive because worms do go down quite a ways. So sure. the that experiment uh, provided a pretty good window into what happens when you just leave stuff alone. I'm glad you mentioned the corn on corn. We do get a lot of questions about strip tilling into corn on corn. Do you go right over the stalks or do you move over to the side and leave last year's stock standing? No, I move over and um, take care of uh, doing the strips in the middle of the old rows so that the root balls are, are now in the center of the rows. And of course, with the wheel traffic, uh, those root balls and corn stalks get pretty well pounded down into the ground. And the uh, corn planter with residue whippers in the front tend to throw a little dirt off to the side and cover the residue. So when I look down the field after doing that kind of procedure, I find that there's just a nice uh, dark strip of soil that'll warm quickly and provide good emergence uh, even though we're planting into a high residue situation yeah it makes a big difference and i know where where dave farms too it's it's cold so that's that's important in the spring hey dave we got to run thank you so much really appreciate having you on again and and good luck you're heading towards spring well thanks take care you bet thank you you're listening to ag phd radio Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. 
the Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about soil organic matter today and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to sunny California. We've got Bill Brush with us. He's an ag consultant out there. Bill, thanks for joining us. Hey, always a pleasure to be with you guys. All right, so I mentioned you're sunny and warm compared to our uh, freezing cold temperatures here. Is it harder to build soil organic matter when it's warm all the time? You know, the, the components to build uh, soil organic matter, and when I say organic matter, there's usually a big confusion. It really means the stabilized portion of the that car- organic material, the soil humus that we like to call it. And a lot of people try to throw a lot of, uh, products, and I call them carbon material, uh, that are helpful to 
to biological activity, but don't really build organic matter because they're not the right balance. Uh, you know, good, a good organic matter or a good organic matter builder is something that has a really balance of nutrients, much like we want to balance those that, that are going to make that uh, soil humus uh, effective. And, you know, it's hard to do. One of the things that we have here is, is we have a lot of sandy soils in places and temperature, soil temperatures will be 140 degrees on a 100 degree day. Uh, you're not going to build organic matter in those conditions. It's basically going to oxidize that uh, carbon material and you will have a difficult time ever building that. So we see these a lot of times. They're 0.2, 0. 0.6% uh, uh, organic matter. Uh, however, you get up into some of the areas. That, that's why this is such a diverse state. You get up there into the uh, delta and uh, a lot of years from a lot of materials, you know, carbon materials being laid down year after year after year. We're seeing things that can be 10, 12, 15 percent organic organic matter or more. Uh, that has its own set of problems I won't get into. But the key really to get making organic matter is getting your soil in the right soil structure and getting it so it's got a nice amount of air and getting your carbon, I mean your calcium numbers up, your magnesium numbers down into the proper range, which is my favorite spot to get them, is at least get them into the mid-teens. And uh, we'll get enough air so that the microbial activity will basically begin to work on all of this carbonaceous material and, and work good for you. One of the problems you have is, you know, there's so many parts to the soil and yet so many people that, that go to school and, and, and they do a really good job of the area they they study, but, you know, it could be soil science. Well, there's no microbiology in that field of study. And a lot of agronomy uh, graduates don't have a lot of microbiology. And those people that graduate with microbiology don't have a lot of soil science nor agronomy. So in addition to that, you got plant pathology and soil chemistry and structure and, and then putting it all together with economics, which I know you guys like to do. You put that all together, that's what you really have to put together to build up your soil with, with organic matter. It's a great goal, but the key is the devil's in the details, as we like to say, and it's getting that good balance. Now, uh, one of the things about microbial activity that, that, thank goodness, it works this way, doesn't mean it's not working for you. It just means it's not working today. A lot of times this will just go into a spore form and sit there and wait until soil conditions are right, meaning the proper amount of air and water, giving it uh, the opportunity for it to break down this carbon material. And uh, But uh, if you can get, you know, the perfect thing, Dr. Albrecht likes to always put it, that the, the best soils were ones that had somewhere around 5% organic, but it's a good balance where it's got lots of nutrient capability lots of nutrient holding capability and a lot of water holding capability which people don't put enough credit i don't think to holding water that uh, a good five percent or, or, sure. or thereabouts will hold for you yeah, and that, i think back in your periods of drought it would be very helpful yeah that that uh, water holding capacity you bet it's super big and you know you mentioned uh, soil science doesn't come with the micro microbiology background and on and on and the economics and everything else and i thought Man, it takes 40 years of hard work farming before you finally are able to tie all those things together, and then you're done. And so, yeah, it, it takes a lot of study. And it also takes 
talking to people that are experts in some of these other fields, I, I think about one that, that I know you run into in California is silage production. And I'm not sure how much you end up working with that bill, but I, I look at, we get a lot of questions around the the buildup of organic matter or the loss of organic matter for constantly taking that top growth off every year. What do you see with that? Do you have some dairy guys you work with that are concerned about this? Yeah, and I think a lot of what I always look at is, is that I, I call it the the soil bank. You know, it's how much am I putting in and how much am I taking out. You know, and when you're taking whole plant silage off, and you probably out here since we double crop most all dairymen will double double crop, meaning they'll have a winter crop because it doesn't get cold enough. We can get a, a good forage crop could be an oat barley wheat mix or it could be a triticale or what several different blends. They could take that up, and it's a whole plant. But you have to remember all of that material is run through the cows, and then that, that manure that's developed and is then reapplied. So you, you begin to try to make a circle, meaning the amount going into the cows and the amount coming out of the cows is going back to that soil, and you, you create a good balance, and then you feed in a little uh, of the things that are not quite... Uh, balanced and you can have a really good cyclic deal what happens to some people you know if you're going silage for someone else and you take the whole plant you didn't put anything back into the bank it's 100 percent removal and we all know what happens to your bank account if we're just removing eventually there is an end to that and so the key is is to make yourself a good rotational thing the best farmers out here has actually put in a, a, an agreement with the dairyman that they might be going silage for that when I get done, then I'm going to get part of that manure replaced back onto my soil to real rebuild sure. back up the, the the P and K particularly that we're dragging out with that silage. You know, it's not unusual out here for to high 30s. I've got one grower I've worked with for a long, had worked with for a long time. I don't work, currently work with him, but did for a long time. He would he would pull in the mid to high 40 ton to the acre of silage. And that's all dried down to 70%. That's not all just a lot of extra water. It was done right. And, and yet he would go off a 25 to 30 ton. Uh, so he's approaching 75, 80 ton wow. of material pulled off. And this is at the top end. But you know what? Soil was as balanced as anything I've worked with. And we worked hard to keep them there. And we always did a, a rotational thing to keep it in balance. In fact, he was so... Total that he actually on about a third of it, we, we grew a third crop, and that third crop was meant to to be a removal crop, meaning he sold it to neighbors, and they lined up for it because it was always a really good quality product. It might be a sorghum sedan grass or something like that as a third crop, and uh, they always had plenty of feed. And I think I heard earlier you said you know that when you look around and the high input guys. If they're getting the high production, they seem to be doing the best of, of everybody. And, and the hard part is, is, where do I get started and where can I afford to get started? Right, right. And, and, and this guy, had even in these sandy soils that he farmed, he still had, which was good for this area, in these sandy soils, he was upwards of 3.5% organic matter. Which in his light sandy soils, which I'm going to say were all less than 10, uh, exchange capacity. So you can imagine he, he was doing a tremendous job and, and uh, that is what can be done uh, but it, it you know you, if you're a soil guy like me and you get your hands into this kind of soil and just the aromatic activity of the microbes 
microbial population is tremendous. And he's able to consistently keep that carbon material yeah, going to work for him. Dr. Albert used to think that's the most valuable thing that you have in your soil because it returns to you every year whether you do anything to it or not. And that's that's why, exactly right. always why you can grow something on any soil because of the value of the amount of soil you must live there. Yeah, if you get that soil microbial population working for you and you get everything in balance, that is that is the ideal. But you're right, it takes a lot of hard work and, and knowledge to make yeah. that happen. Hey, Bill, we got to run, but thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info- information today. No problem. Always a pleasure, guys. You bet. Thank you. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll be right back after this. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio talking today about soil organic matter. I just had a few things for you and then we'll get back to questions. Um, why is soil organic matter important? Here are just a few things that I've written down. It improves soil structure and tilth. It reduces compaction and increases oxygen levels in soil. It helps hold soil in place and reduces erosion potential. It helps filter contaminants as water moves through soil. It improves microbial activity and soil life. Organic matter allows soils to warm more quickly in the spring. It can hold approximately three times as many nutrients as clay. That's a really big deal. And it can hold anions, things like nitrate, phosphate, sulfate, boron, and zinc better than clay can. So those are all super important reasons why you want good organic matter levels in your soil. Additionally, I mentioned earlier, nitrogen, uh, in our region at least, for every 1% of organic matter, we figure 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen free release every year. So in other words, if you had 5% organic matter, that's 100 to 150 pounds of nitrogen comes available for free every single year. Now, the further north you go and the colder it is, the less release you're going to have. Okay, so I would figure less, but my point is for our region, it's a lot. And for everybody, it is something. Okay, and phosphate, we figure four to seven pounds for each 1% of organic matter. Sulfur, two to three pounds for each 1% of organic matter. So nitrogen, phosphate, sulfur, you get four free every single year out of your organic matter. And the last thing that I would say, and a big reason why organic matter is important, we figure roughly... For every 1% of organic matter increase in the soil, the average soil can hold approximately 4% more water. So in the next 10 years, if you were to increase your soil's organic matter levels by 2%, that's 8% more water holding capacity. Now, for you and your area, that might not be a big deal. For me, in our area, that's an enormous deal. Last year, we had a grand total of 14 inches of precip. That includes the snow. <laughs> that's all we had. Well... That's not a lot of rainfall to try to raise a great crop. And if we can hold just a little bit more in our soil, it's going to be a big deal. Finally, how do you increase organic matter? Here are the five things we often talk to people about. Number one, by far and away, is reduce your tillage to keep roots intact. So what I'm saying here is you don't have to go no-till or even strip-till if you don't want to. Francis Childs, he was the first farmer in the U.S. who was raising over 400 bushel corn. He was doing mini moldboard plowing, and he was still building his soil's organic matter because he was producing such unbelievable amounts of residue with continuous corn. But I would say, you heard me mention, keep the roots intact. What they found through studies is that a lot of the soil's organic matter doesn't come from all the above-ground residue that you see. That's more there to protect the soil from erosion. Where organic matter gets built is from roots that break down below ground. So reduce tillage to keep those roots intact. Number two, plant high residue crops with lots of roots. So for example, corn has roughly five times the root mass of soybeans. Number three, use manure or compost. Number four, use cover crops. And then number five, use some biological products uh, to help you with all this and help turn your things into organic matter in the soil. So you absolutely can increase organic matter in the soil. It is very important for the overall soil health that you have. And if you're trying to get more from less on your farm, uh, soil organic matter is just a tremendous asset for you. 
All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Darren, there was one that came in. Yep, yep uh, yeah, just a little just, bit ago here. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, so this one comes from Michael, and he said, why not, instead of encouraging everyone to raise yields through using more products that provide a positive return on investment, why don't we continue looking at ways to cut costs, maybe even reducing yields nationwide a little in the process so we can all make more money? Ask anyone that had a semblance of a halfway decent crop in 2012, they'll tell you that that was one of their more profitable years farming due to supply shortages. It didn't take a bumper crop to increase profitability. Most anyone can see a large chunk of the market price increase in commodities recently has been because of a supply shortage worldwide, wide, a small portion due to increased consumption. So if we continue to increase yields, we'll be right back where we were in six the past six years in no time do we want to be in business for ourselves or just be slaves to the industry okay so two things about this first of all there is obviously with the new administration in place in the united states there is a big talk about changes for climate so in other words um, what can we do to reduce the impacts of climate change, which many people, by the way, don't even believe uh, is real or man-made or whatever. Well, but climate the, change the is, point climate is, change is easy to just say, okay, fine. Is the climate change? Of course. So it's going to change. Nope. I have no issue with that. It's just global warming is something that I think is kind of interesting to, okay. to debate. Okay. But, so, but regardless of that, regardless of what you think about that, it doesn't matter. That's not really the question. The question is, should we cut acres? Should we cut production no, no, on acres no, no, no. and try to short ourselves so that we're always short of crop out there? Yeah, I, I know, and I'm, I'm getting to that. Here's here's my whole point. There are two. I've got two key things and why this isn't going to work. I'm sorry, Michael. But number one is people want to reduce all the um, greenhouse gases. Okay, well, what's number one on the list? Carbon dioxide. What do plants breathe? Carbon dioxide. How can we reduce carbon dioxide in the air? We can produce more plants. So more yield equals less global warming. That's an absolute proven fact. So anybody that's talking about this climate change and global warming and greenhouse gases will be promoting much, much, much higher yields for farmers because that's a big deal. Okay, so number two, in terms of the economics, the reason why it doesn't work to skip things that provide a good return on investment is because if you skip them and the neighbor does not, now all of a sudden the neighbor has more overall income. Yeah, and or, then the neighbor can go offer country. more money for your land, either cash rent or to buy it. And that's the problem. So when you're in a free market society, then it just doesn't work to just say, all right, well, let's all cut everything because there are going to be people who aren't going to go go for that. And they're going to say, you know, if something would give me a good ROI, why would I not do that? And then they, as many farmers will term it, try to steal my land from me because they've got more income to work with. So, yeah, it. now as we say that, the key thing that Michael said in his question here is, using products that provide a positive return on investment. And that's something we do talk about all the time. We don't want you using things that don't give you a positive ROI. Otherwise, you're going to go bankrupt. So that's why we try, hopefully, talking through all the things here on the show about, hey, use this in this situation. Don't use this in this other situation. So if you do the right things economically, usually you're going to come out ahead in the long term. And yeah, I get it. Um, you know, we can try to cut costs and and save our way to prosperity. I was talking about that earlier in the show, but unfortunately, 
it just doesn't work real well. What we need to cut are the costs that are costing us money. The things that don't pay, those are the ones we've got to cut. All right. Thanks for the for the question. And and yeah, it's a it's a big discussion if we get going on that. No doubt about that. All right. I uh, got one here from Thomas in Wisconsin. He said, I've been hearing about the about it being detrimental adding more than a hundred pounds of potash on soybeans. Have you seen this at all? Nope. Have you seen it in uh, banding or strip till? Would no. that be what they're talking about? Yeah. What they're talking about is getting too much salt near the seed and near the young seedling very early in the season. So there has been some negative impact on nodulation. There's obviously, there have obvious, obviously been plants that have been hurt by, by excess salt. So yeah, that's what you don't want. But in terms of just a blanket statement, don't put more than 100 pounds out. We put 500 pounds out and had tremendous soybeans. So I'm not saying oh, everybody should put 500 pounds out. I'm simply saying you have to look at your situation and how you fertilize. So if it's going to be strip-till and you're going to put the fertilizer out in the fall, eight inches below where you're going to plant the seed, which is what we commonly do, how are you going to hurt things? I mean, I don't get that. And if you're broadcasting it, like again, like we do on our farm where we're six months in advance of planting, and we get rain on it, we get snow, we get everything to move it around, we do tillage. I mean, we've we've really reduced the amount of salt that's in that that uh, that seed zone. Oh, it's very interesting you bring that up, Brian. Doug from Illinois has got a question we'll get to right after this short break about that topic exactly. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's about time. Time for unprecedented season-long foliar disease protection. Formulated for a convenient at-plant application, new first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway brand fungicides deliver complete inside-out protection from day one. From root to tassel, stalk to leaf. From planting through harvest. The active ingredient, Flutriophol, moves from the soil through your plants as your corn grows. Change the way you approach foliar disease protection from the start with first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway 3D and Zyway LFR fungicides, available only from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides qualify for the exclusive agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine. 
because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Just for the break... I was talking about Doug from Illinois. Here's his question. He said, last fall, potassium was cheap, and I applied 500 pounds of potash to my soil in hopes of raising my base saturation K from 3% to 5 We did some of that, too. A my, bunch of that, actually. My farm is pattern tiled. My CEC is 15. My pH is between 6.5 and, and 7. Okay. And I'm trying to balance my micronutrients, too. Yep. Should I be worried about the chloride for my upcoming corn? No. Chloride on its own is not harmful. It's not toxic. It's actually a nutrient that your crop needs. Where we worry about chloride is, let's say you have sodium chloride. So if there's a whole bunch of sodium in your soil and it combines with the chloride, sodium chloride is a salt. And if you have a crazy amount of that, then yes, you could cause a problem. Am I worried about you throwing 500 pounds of potash out there? No way. We put on three times that much and had no issue. But I... As I say that, I don't want everybody thinking, well, Brian said I can put 1,500 pounds of potash out. No, you got to use your head, do it, do it, uh, do it as safely as you can. And, and here's the thing. Well, here's exactly what we always say. The, the higher rate you're going to go in terms of fertility, the more you want separation between the seed and the fertility. So when you have put it out in the fall, well, you got six months of separation uh, now. Then you get some rain on it. In a 15 CEC, it's going to start to move down. It's going to move around in your soil. So that part's good. You're going to go out and maybe do spring tillage. You're going to plant whatever. I mean, the point is you're not putting a ridiculous amount right in the furrow or anything like that. But yeah, when you start going to crazy rates, better try it on a small scale before you do it on a big scale. But would I worry about what, what he's done? Nope, I sure wouldn't. All right. Thanks for the question. Got uh, a few questions here from Jim. He said, first of all, I purchased a seed treater this winter. Looking forward to trying some different seed treatments. Just wonder if you had any thoughts on what I should look at. Currently planning on a four fungicide, one insecticide seed treatment along with inoculant. I know that you guys use lots of seed treatments on your seed. Yeah, we do. And that's a good idea. Get lots of fungicides, insecticide, inoculant. If you're going to plant right away, you don't necessarily need an extender with that inoculant. But if it's going to be a couple of days, then yes, I'd have an an extender as well. The only thing that I would really add would be biologicals. So we're using... Let's see, on ours, Heat Shield, NutriCycle, and Boost 10 this spring. So we're getting roughly 60 more components 
in our seed treatment with all the with the addition of all that. So boost tan is amino acids. Uh, let's see, heat shield protects you from it's uh, fungal endophytes. <laughs> and I know it's going to sound weird if you haven't heard this before, but it's uh, fungal species that actually will get inside. They'll infect the plant, live inside the plant, and help protect it against things like heat, drought, cold, and salt. And then NutriCycle is more of a, a solubilizer for things like silica um, and potassium uh, and a number of other valuable plant nutrients. So anyway, we have seen good results with all of those. And so, yeah, we're doing all of that. So by the time you add, add it all together on the seed we plant, on the soybeans we plant on our farm, we, we have about 70 different components in the overall seed treatment package and it works really well. All right. He's also a short question here. Just wondering if we have any preference on a pole dry fertilizer spreader that could do variable rate technology. So there's lots of different brands, but it looks like by the time you price out all the equipment, you just will buy one that's all set up to begin with. Uh, no, I, I don't have any certain brand. I would tell you, oh, that's definitely better than the rest. We haven't bought one here for a few years, so I haven't done the recent research. Sorry. Okay. Then he said he's in 30-inch rows, north-central Iowa, and they're raising non-GMO crops. And he got a lot of ideas on chemical programs, and he sent uh, oh, wow. what the breakouts are on some of these programs. Okay. I see a lot of familiar ingredients there. Do you see any big holes in his program? He said he hasn't had terrible weed problems, oh. but on non-GMO stuff, he doesn't want to take a chance. Okay. So I, I, let, let's see. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at what do, what do I, what do, do, do I have any pre on soybeans? Oh, that, okay. So I get it. So that's all he's, okay. Now I'm, it's very disjointed yeah, it takes, here. It takes just, uh, printed onto two pages. Well, Jim, yeah. So it's probably a little complicated. Well, yeah. And then it's, that. it's side to side too. So anyway, okay. So let's put it this way. What he's, I'll, I'll read off my, my two concerns. Number one is he's got Balance Flex Pre on corn, but then post he has Armazon. Well, those are each HPPDs. Would I do a an HPPD Pre and an HPPD Post? No, I would not. No way, no chance, no how. Do it once, otherwise you're going to have carryover. Now, it's no big deal if you're going to go back to corn next year, which I don't know. But if you're in a corn soybean rotation, that's not going to work. I also don't like seeing atrazine out there pre-emerge. I'd rather you save it for post. Um, it'll be much better for the environment that way. You don't have to worry about groundwater contamination. So I would not do that. Um, otherwise, I mean, what, what you got here is fine. Okay, then on the soybean side of things, my big concern is just what you're putting out. So um, you've got pursuit in both cases at, I believe, very high rates. So I would not do that. I don't like pursuit because of the carryover risk. Like Zidua Pro, no chance I'm doing that. You can't do that with Authority Edge in the one. Now, I'm guessing he's got it's one or the other. But we talked about this just the other day. I don't like Zidua Pro. Never going to recommend it for soybeans. Here's the problem. You've got pursuit in there at too high a rate. Number two, you've got... Uh, uh, sharpen and you can't use enough sharpen to give you residual in soybeans. So if you bump the rate, you kill the beans at the rate you can use, you don't have enough residual. So that's not my choice. I would absolutely, if I'm raising non-GMO beans, I'm going a yellow. So that's either prowl or in 
in conventional till trifluralin. I'm using metribuzin, and I'm using either Valor or Authority. You do those three things, you'll spend much less than what you're talking about here. Because by the way, he's talking about spending 21 or 20 bucks. If I do trifluralin, metribuzin, and Valor Authority, I'm going to spend 12. If I do Prowl, instead of the trifluralin, then I'll get up into that $20, $21 range, but I'll have a much better program than this. Post-emerge, um, what he's got is fine. Flexstar, first-rate, Zidua, uh, all fine. All depends on what you end up with for weeds. So I always tell people on the post side, let's just wait and see what happens. Okay, If you have non-GMO crop, just wait and see what happens. Let's see what weeds we actually have out there and then spend our money accordingly. Now, it's fine to plan ahead. It's fine it's fine to think, oh, I'm going to probably need to do this. That's okay. But, uh, oh, one last thing I would just say, be careful on how much Flexstar you're running with. He's got a pint, and I know in his area, a pint is labeled. It's not in our area. 12 ounces is the maximum rate. I worry about Flexstar carryover in very dry years. So let's say we have a drought summer this year, then there's no possible chance I'm going to recommend 16 ounces of Flexstar for you. I would cut that back. Thanks for the, so I guess I had a lot more than than I thought in the first place. Sorry, go. go ahead. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate the questions. So got this from Stan. Wondering what you'd recommend for grass control in alfalfa, both pre and post. And then if the alfalfa is Roundup ready, is there anything better or uh, anything else you would choose rather than just using a, a rate of Roundup sufficient to kill the grass? No. Just use the Roundup. That's the best thing for grass, and it's systemic. Otherwise, if it was not, if it wasn't Roundup ready, then I would go select or cleft it in post. I would go Eptam pre. All right. Thanks for the question, Stan. Uh, this one comes from Chris. You guys don't use anhydrous preplant. Could you explain why? Well, we used to use anhydrous every fall until the last three years, and then basically just about everybody around here went away from anhydrous, leaving maybe only one or two suppliers, so then the price is really high. And if all things are equal, I, I mean, I'm probably not going to go anhydrous because of the risk. So just the safety factor for our people that work on the farm, that's my concern. In the spring, the reason why we don't use anhydrous, or we never used anhydrous, it was always fall, never spring, because by the time the ground gets fit so we can put that anhydrous down six or eight inches deep and get it to seal up, we should have been planting a week or two earlier. So we have a very short growing season, and as soon as that spring thaw occurs, we want to be planting. Those planters need to be rolling, otherwise we do not maximize yield, and we don't get stuff done timely. So we just can't wait and and hope that we're going to be able to get the anhydrous on. So that's the reason why we don't in the spring. All right. Thanks for the question, Chris. We really appreciate that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different things that can be done and that are done. And, and yeah, it's neat as you talk to different farm operations. Well, why are you doing this instead of that? And yeah, there's always there's always a lot of reasons depending on where you're farming. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.